I want to welcome everyone to the People's School for Marxist Funded Studies, Thursday, May 7th, 2020. What we're going to do today is something very important. It's a group of speeches. June 17th, 1937. These were excerpts from uh, reports at a meeting of the Central Committee of the Communist Party in America, William C. Forster, Alex Biddleman, who was in the Central Committee, James Ford, who was the candidate that ran against Roosevelt the first time Roosevelt ran. The communist movement did not support Roosevelt. And Comrade Charles Crumbin. They contributed to this excellent reprint. But I find this excellent, Comrade. What's interesting about this, it has the same problems for building a party that we have today. So it's not new to us. It's not new to our party. This is a common situation in building a Marxist-Leninist-Bolshevik party in this country. This could have been written yesterday. This is 1937, William Z. Forster, called Party Building, which we're doing, and Political Leadership. He said, in the United States, under the blows of the difficult economic situation and the threat of political reaction, the masses are moving towards a people's front. They are being rapidly radicalized. They're breaking the leading strings that held them so long under the control of the capitalist ruling class. There is a deep class differentiation, and they're shifting of class forces. This is shown by the unparalleled regrouping of political and economic organizations during the past year, including splits in the Democrat and Republican parties. Deep splits in the labor movement and especially in the growth of rank and fileism in the CIO, Congress of Industrial Organizations. But the Communist Party did not experience an organic growth corresponding to the expanding mass movement. Now, I thought that was interesting because that's what we're going through right now. The same kind of thing. Look around. We're basically at a similar point. And this was during the Depression. He says, party's membership has fluctuated. Now, remember, the party started in 1919. This is in 1937. He's given this report. About 40,000. Things have stayed stagnant with growth. Then he goes on to say, the problem of speeding up the growth of the party and its press and of liquidating the contradiction, there's a contradiction between rapid intensification of the class struggle and slow growth of our party. This constitutes a general, most urgent issue before the party. And then he goes and he says something that's very interesting because I hear it among the young people in our party. Before analyzing this problem, it is necessary that first to eliminate a harmful misconception. This is the opinion that the economic situation in our country is not favorable to the rapid growth of the party. That the party cannot grow in periods of prosperity, but requires a situation of an economic crisis or depression. Translate that. 
There are those in our party and in the left who say the worse things get, then our party will grow. And when things aren't that bad, the party will not grow. And here, Comrade Foster is strongly disagreeing with that. He says such a notion is so basically wrong. The growth of a communist party is conditioned by a whole complex of different factors, not the economic question alone. When the groundwork is at hand for a rapid expansion of a communist party's strength and influence, therefore, if the party is not growing faster, then the reasons are not to be found in unfavorable objective situations, but in other factors which we shall develop as we go along. Then he goes into the second chapter. Review of organizational conditions and methods. Comrades, this is the reason why we concentrate on organization so strongly in our party. This is the reason why the organizational department and the OGSEC of that department is considered in high regards and their position is very important. I'll go back to what Comrade Foster said in 37. The party as a whole needs greatly to improve its organizational work. There's, it says it right there. Its recruitment, its integration, there's the word, of new members goes without saying. There is a gross neglect of this fundamental question. Without definite improvement in this vital work, all talk of building the party will remain fruitless. Number one, a greater organizational consciousness. The party needs further education in the necessity of carrying on systemic, that means continuous, party organizational work. There has been too much reliance placed on just agitation, and we hear that among some of our comrades today. The regular building of the party is left largely to spontaneity, not to planned work, but to spontaneity. This situation must be drastically corrected. The whole party membership must be made acutely, organizationally conscious and educated never to forget that the building of a great mass party is the center of all our activities. Party building must be made the central issue everywhere and at all times throughout the party. Next thing, B, and then I'm going to open up for questions. Intensified preparation of our cadre. The cadre question must be reshaped in view of the present situation. The whole system of training of cadre must be broadened and it must be speeded up to satisfy the current great demand for trained personnel created by the growing mass struggle and multiplying activities of our party. It must be especially directed towards producing new types of cadre demanded by the new mass organizations. All party schools must be extended. We must especially adopt a bold policy 
of promoting comrades to do responsible work. I hope everyone is listening to this. This is part of the situation we're going through right now. And thus bring out their latent abilities. Every comrade has abilities. Our job is to help bring them out. While stressing the great importance of cadre question, we must not, however, fail to combat the wrong theories of those who try to justify inexcusable inactivity by urging a lack of capable cadre. In other words, there are those who say, we don't have the people around. And I've said this myself many times. We don't have them right now. We will have them soon. Therefore, few comrades do all the work. This is incorrect. Link together the party's organization and educational work. And this is what we're trying to do right now in the school. Link together the party's organization and education work. The education and the organization of workers is the same process, both on a party scale and on a mass organization scale. And the two phases of the work must be closely coordinated. The combination of the two former separate agiprop and organization departments into the educational organizational department is as important step forward in the methods of party building. And the full logic of it must be developed throughout the districts, throughout our districts. This department should study the methods of education and organization used by various other organizations. Political parties, trade unions, fraternal organizations, the department should also send out instructors to the different districts to check up on carrying out party directives. And the last thing before I ask the question, connect party recruiting with the mass movement. Party building must be made an organic part of every mass campaign of the party. The education organizational department must concern itself directly with the planning of our mass work and weave it into the various tasks of party building. Before, party building has been considered too much as a separate party activity, detached from actually mass work. Thus, for example, during the recent election campaign, we had many big mass meetings they were held. Radio speeches were delivered. Remember, this is 1937. Literature was distributed in which no appeal at all was made to draw workers into the ranks of our party. The party must also fight energetically against what he calls stages theory of organization, which is that first we build the mass movement, and I should be criticized of this myself, that first we build the mass movement, and later we build the party. Party building must be a continuous process, proceeding simultaneously with the development of a mass campaign, and must not be the object simply 
of occasional party recruiting drives. The party organizer was a publication that dealt with recruiting. In a party line that is dealing almost entirely with purely party affairs and should also concern itself directly with all important problems of the mass organizations, linking the party building with them. And I'm going to stop right there. This is very prophetic, comrades. I don't know if you realize it. The younger comrades may not realize it. I hope some of the older ones do. If anybody wants to have a discussion, a short one-minute contribution, this is just as important as theory. This is very timely. It could be written right now. We'll definitely reprint this, and we'll get it out on the Internet. And he keeps saying the education organizational department. In our party, they're right. separate. Right, exactly. They combined it. They uh -huh. combined education and organization. He's saying that's the way to go. That's correct. I'm glad you saw that. You're reading this, and I'm just, like, snapping my fingers because this is so good. One of the things that has been completely, purposely obfuscated by the powerful forces in this country is how much nitty-gritty work it takes to make organizations successful. People want to think that it's just moving people into the streets and doing these mass things, but that is not what actually gets things done. We have to focus on the nitty-gritty, not fun, not glamorous work of doing paperwork, of creating structure, of organizing and educating our cadre, or we're not going to get anything done. I love that we're reading this text. When you spoke, that's what I did when I read this. I started clapping my hands and by myself. I'm saying this is the truth, and you're correct. We used to call it years ago, comrade, we called it the Jimmy Higgins work, all right? Meant it's not exciting, it's not glamorous, but it's the work that you need to do to build the union local or to build a party or to build an organization. Correct. You're right on. I'm trying to build a chapter here in Indiana, and listening to this makes me wonder, what about our mass organization, Movement for People's Democracy? How does that interplay with our party, our cadre organization? According to what he's saying here, we cannot first build the mass organization and then assume that everybody's going to build a party. He said we have to build them simultaneously at the same time. So Henry Winston, who many of the people don't know on this phone, was around when I was in the old party. He made a statement, and he must have got it from the past, because here's what he said, and I'm talking about in the 70s. He said, and this was written in 37, Henry Winston said, he was the national chair of the CPUSA, he said, you build the mass movement, by doing that, you're building the party, whether you realize it or not. When you build the party, whether you realize it or not, you're building the mass movement. Yeah. And stop and think, everyone, if that's not what we've been doing with MPD, for example. We attributed MPD on the agenda of every club meeting, every district meeting. We're now assigning members to work in MPD. I hope this answers your question, comrade. You mentioned at the outset that the Communist Party did not support Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So could you... The first you time. Share the first time. Yes, I'll tell you yeah. why. That's a very, very good question. When Roosevelt first ran at the first election, 
the party position was very understandable. For example, if you noticed, something was called the NRA, National Recovery Act. The party, I remember this very carefully studying my history. There was a picture of an eagle on their poster, the government poster. It was the same eagle, coincidence, could be, the same eagle as Germany at the same time was using. The German eagle was holding a swastika. The American eagle was holding arrows and something else. But it was the same looking eagle, a certain perspective of the eagle, the way the eagle stood. And that was one thing. The CCC, Civilian Conservation Corps, which Roosevelt administration put into practice, that CCC, what it did was took young people into the country. And who was doing the same thing in Germany? Hitler was doing yeah. that with the young people in Germany. He was taking them out to the forest in the nature program. So there were oh, yeah. superficial, there were superficial similarities between the two. And that's why we were hesitant with supporting him. But as Roosevelt developed in his second term running for election and in his third term, the party supported him. He did take into his cabinet and into his administration on lower levels members of the party. People should know this. That's the reason why when the 1950s came along and you had Joe McCarthy hold up a list and he said, I have a list of communists in the State Department. I don't know if you ever remember this. Those of us who are too young, they may not know this. And the liberals came down on him like a ton of bricks. They say, why are you accusing young, idealistic, liberal people of being communists? Because communists was a negative thing. And the point is, Roosevelt asked communists for help because he saw the success of the economic system in the Soviet Union when over here he was trying to get this country out of a depression. And they had a centralized, planned economy. So he did look to them, people like Frances Perkins, that name rings a bell. She was very close to the CP at the time. So the point I'm making is that there were communists in the State Department later on. So our answer is, so? That's good. Not bad. It's good. Yeah, the actual name of the act that you were referring to was the National Industrial Recovery Act. The symbol of that act was the Blue Eagle. The Blue Eagle was the bald eagle, which is the mascot of the United States. And it's on the dollar bill. And you'll see that it's holding arrows and olive branches. The Blue Eagle was declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. And it was stricken down by the Supreme Court, so that's why it wasn't implemented fully. Okay. That's uh, a good point. Thank you. The eagle that you're talking about, and I know this from JROTC, it's holding an olive branch for victory and another for the arrows. The common perception is that it's peace or war, but that's not the case. The arrows it's carrying is a symbol that was stolen from the Iroquois, which the U.S. destroyed and subjugated and conquered. Basically, the, the statement is that together we are strong. It's from a myth from Hiawatha, who took an arrow from each of his warriors brought them together, and couldn't break them with his hands. 
It's about you. Ah, very, very interesting. I remember Hiawatha very well. Yes, on the shores of Gichigumi, I remember. But, yeah, that's a very good analysis that you're giving. Okay, thank you. You were talking about FDR and supporting him in his second term, his third term, etc. And I had a question about that. We were supporting FDR at that point, obviously critically supporting him. But if I remember correctly, there were still laws being passed that were supported by the Roosevelt administration that was criminalizing being a communist and throwing communists in jail. Now, there's talk about bringing laws like that back today, and there's even some Democrats who are seemingly progressive who have shown signs of supporting those kinds of ideas. What do we do in that situation? That's an area that's different than what the class is about tonight, but quickly, it's a struggle. One of the things that we're going to reprint that we put out during the late 40s when the Cold War started and the early 50s, it's called Danger to the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. Now, the left normally doesn't look at that. They can't understand it. But yet the communists have, in the past, been the biggest defenders of the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. The Bill of Rights is the first ten amendments to the Constitution. And it's been attacked over the years. Actually, it's been chipped away, is a better term, until it means almost nothing. But this pamphlet goes into it, and it explains how we have to be the defenders of the Bill of Rights. We cannot allow to be done by the bourgeoisie, because they really don't care about the Bill of Rights. Remember that. I want everyone to listen to this attentively, because this has to do with our party. New methods of party recruiting. Listen to this. The methods of recruiting new members into the party should be studied again with regard to a united front situation in the developing movement. Very often, prevailing methods of recruitment are just too narrow, too much confined to close party circles. Now, as I'm reading this, comrades, I'm thinking of what I've been doing and seeing if some of this is applicable to me. We must find broader approaches to the awakening masses and develop systemic efforts to recruit among them on the basis of their union, the basis of family, basis of friends, basis of neighborhood, and basis of fraternal organizations. Fraternal organizations are things like bowling leagues and things like that. Special attention must be paid to developing recruiting activities by all our contacts in the mass movement. That means in Lux, in MPD, in U.S. Friends of Soviet People, in Women for Racial Economic Equality. A better planning and checkup should be developed for all recruitment work. Reduction in membership fluctuations. Now, this is very important. Because we're going through this right now. On one hand, we have masses coming in. On the other hand, through the back door, we have some people leaving. And listen to what he said in 1937. Our efforts to correct the evil, he calls it evil, of membership fluctuation, through which we lose a large percentage of new members recruited 
yearly must be based upon a united front situation of the party and the tasks of the developing mass movement. There must be a better distribution of tasks. Comrades, listen to this. There must be a better distribution of tasks, that means work, to new members, a more systemic education of these new members, a better dues collecting system. We need that too. A more thorough checkup on those who have dropped out of the party, raising of the political tone of party club life. Next thing, self-criticism, party democracy, and collective leadership. Improvement in all these elementary respects is necessary for the strengthening of a party, politically and organizationally. There must be a better examination made of our weaknesses, a franker, honest admission of errors. If we are to sharpen our policies and activities, a better combination of democratic procedure, very important, with firm communist discipline. You see how he adds the two of them together. A combination of democratic procedure with firm communist discipline. If we are to give the workers in the party more of a feeling of active participation in the life of our party and a more systemic development of collective leadership, if we are to develop the best leading and the best working ability that our party has in its forces, there must be substantial improvement in the party's organizational methods along the above suggested lines is a bound to result in a decided speed up of party building. It would result in such growth for our party and the strengthening of its influence on all fronts. The need of the betterment of our organization work, therefore, cannot be overstressed. After the next one, I'm going to open up the question. I want everyone to hear this in sense of now, the new members especially, and all those who have been in the party for a while, you are now in a cadre party, of a Leninist party of a new type. This is not like the Democratic Party, not like a radical group like PSL. This is totally different. Party building means better political work. Effective political work among the masses is, of course, basic to the building of a Communist Party. In this sense, the June Resolution of 1937 of the Central Committee said, in this way, there's a quote, the party must guard against the danger of dissolving itself. Can you believe he's saying this? This is in 37. What happened in 43? It was dissolved, if you remember. He said, the Communist Party must guard against the danger of dissolving itself, liquidating itself, jumping into the general mass movement, either ideologically or organizationally. It must be separated. It must aim to become more and more the initiating. Party should be the initiating, the organizing, and the unifying force of the people's movement. Our job is to have a magnifying glass that stresses our unity 
not not to stress the differences that we have, but to stress what we have in common. The gathering, organization, and recruiting center of the most advanced elements of that movement. This should express itself in mass agitation of the party, in its independent activities of various forms, and in the central organ of the party, which is their newspaper, the worker. This strengthening of the initiative and of the independent political activity of the party can be only helpful to the successful development of a people's front, and in turn, only the most powerful development of a people's mass movement can create the most favorable conditions for the growth and the strengthening of a communist party. He goes into some examples here of what they were doing in France and in Spain, the experiences of the party in Spain and France in 1937. He says they had a strong people's front. We don't have that in this country yet. The left is so divided. You all know that in this conversation. So I'm going to stop right there. Anybody would like to say something? As a district organizer, I use this text for study once in a while. And I really do see it in the party fluctuation section on education and the reality in the party that education really does make people stay. And you can see real development in people as they keep up with classes and party work. That's true. I agree, Comrade. I wanted to touch on the member retention. I've noticed in my organizing that getting new members involved as quickly as possible, getting them doing something so they feel like they're part of the organization really helps getting people active, helps people stay, and helps spread the work around. So. It just makes sense to get people as active as quick as possible and make it as easy as possible for people to start being active. That's very good. We call it integration, integrating people into the party apparatus. For recruitment purposes, which would be more valuable to the party, liberals or conservatives? Good question. Let me just answer you historically. We had two types of liberals during the Roosevelt administration. We had what we called New Deal liberals. Many of them were fellow travelers. These were the people that were involved with the unemployed councils. They were involved along with communist cadre. They were involved with going to Spain to fight fascism along with communists, the YCL people at the time. They were called fellow travelers because they walked along the same road, but they weren't members of the party for different reasons. Today, after 1947, we had what we call Cold War liberals, people like Hubert Humphrey, people like Biden. These people are called Cold War Gene liberals. Gene McCarthy, comrade? No, not Gene McCarthy. I worked for him. Gene McCarthy was a anti-Vietnam War candidate during the Vietnam War. That's not the same as Joseph McCarthy. That's a totally different McCarthy. I just want to mention something that you may not know, everyone. In the 40s, we had our own subculture. What am I talking about? Well, you know about culture, how important it is. Marx mentions it, how the ruling class has their 
culture, their laws, their traditions, their music, everything is from a ruling class perspective. Well, in the 40s, which came out of the 30s, we had our own subculture in the CP. And there was a book that I urge by Paul Mishler. It's called Growing Up Reds. I mentioned this book many times before. Growing Up Reds. And it shows you how we function. People met each other in the communist camps. We had many of them throughout the country. They got together, they got married, and they had children. The children were raised in the same camps. We had something called the Young Pioneers. So these young people were now, instead of going to the Boy Scouts, we went to the Young Pioneers. Then we had our own doctors. So when you went to the doctor, you went to a party doctor. When you sat in the office, there was party literature. You went to your dentist, it was a party dentist. So the point is, we never drifted, and our children never drifted into any other culture but this. So we stayed together. What caused the break in that, and people have to understand this, was when the party in the early 50s, the party went through a different stage of liberalism, all right? And what happened is that we said, we're no longer going to have people sent to party camps and stay among ourselves. Our neighbors were party members. We went to party plays. We're not going to do that anymore. We're going to get out among the masses of people. And what happened is that we got watered down. Everything was stopped, and we started to lose our youth. This is a fact. I went through this with some of the people I knew who were children of party members. We called them red diaper babies, comrades. If you didn't know the word, it's called red diaper babies. And now they were thrown in. So they went to a public school, and they would hear their teachers condemn the Soviet Union. They would hear their teachers condemn the American Communist Party. And some of these kids then went home confused and started to think about turning in their mother and father to the FBI. What I'm saying to you is that this insulation that we had for many years in our development was positive, in my opinion, because we kept our base. We kept our base. The quote is this, the further away you are from the party and from Marxism and Leninism every day, it's like a ripple in a lake. The party has a ripple, and if you're too far away from the ripple, the further you go from the party, and some people do this when they say, I need a vacation from the party. And my experience is that 80% of them never come back. They never come back. The point is, the further you drift from Marxism-Leninism, the further you're going to continue to drift. You're not going to get closer. You're going to get further away. Any questions? I really liked how we talked about the schools and things. We're going to start doing that. Obviously, we're going to get the ball rolling with all this at the Congress, which is less than a year away. And then when people go to the Congress, they're going to come back and bring this. Basically, the Congress will become the district. The district will become the club, just to give you the sizes. My question is this. As I understand, our national chair is a red diaper baby, a legitimate one. Is that true? That is true. I was born with my red diapers on. Party we were members. in the Bay Area at the time, and the FBI used to sit outside of our house, and they used to see who came and went. And there was a publication in the Bay Area that was put out by a professor at UC Berkeley that was an anti-communist thing. It was called Toxin. 
And so we were always featured on the front page of Toxin, all of our activities. And we had the usual problems that people have. We got subpoenas and stuff like that. But when I grew up, that's the environment I grew up in. Thank you, Kermit. Some of the comrades mentioned that communist parties are seen as violent and therefore liberals are not going to embrace those or whatnot or the people that live within American hegemony. That isn't quite true, and we're actually studying the left-wing communism. Basically, how revolutions form is that workers try and demand something through the communist parties, usually nonviolently, and then they are persecuted or opposed violently by the state of some particular republics or countries, which gives rise and legitimacy to the revolution or the movement as such. You need to have the agency of the people. If I go out to blow up a car, say, in my neighborhood, that's not going to do shit. That's just going to pretty much show to the people that, look, these evil communists are in our neighborhood. So it's very important that humbly serving the people in order for us to make a name that these are the ones that fight for the people and win for the people so that they believe in us again, which would go against the propaganda that we've been subjugated to. Thank you. I want people to know, Kermit was raised in a socialist country as a child. Just in one or two sentences, tell us the culture among children in a socialist environment. Is that beneficial to the child? Absolutely, because it creates more equal chances to begin with. So children, for the most part, there's no gap between the rich and the poor. There will be no discrimination based on financial status in schools. For the children, it was the best, the best educational system we could have, and we could never go back to that right now. So it's just the education took such a serious hit after the fall of socialism that it's, it's just unreal. The emphasis they put on education, especially Ceausescu, I think he got the ideas of a small cultural revolution from Mao, but that's not the point here. It was absolutely great. We used to be held to very high standards. Uniforms were provided, free camps in the summer, food for the ones that couldn't afford it. It was, in what regards education, it was just amazing. It was a great achievement for humanity, I'd say. We even have free infant care and nursery and socialism, which is nowhere to be found, pretty much. Thank you, comrade, for that. Something very similar happened also in Israel during the 70s and 80s with the kibbutzes. For many of you who don't know what that is, it's just basically a cooperative farm, and it was a backbone of many Jewish socialists who immigrated to Israel. And as just pointed out about the raising of children, something very similar happened there was that it was hard for the parents to see the children being sent every morning or spending their days in the nurseries. But in the long run, it was very beneficial about cultural reaffirmation about their values. And so when differential salaries were introduced in the kibbutzes and the kibbutzes became more integrated into the national economy of Israel, all that gradually disappeared and all their values. So I just wanted to piggyback. I just wanted to say that and make that comparison. All right, thank you. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I have something I want to tell people here on this phone call. I was brought up in Brooklyn. Brooklyn has a large Hasidim community. Hasidim is a certain sect 
in the Jewish religious community. Very different. They wear black. They have their own schools. They have their own dentists, their own doctors, their own summer camps. They run what we had. What the communist movement had, they do the same. And therefore, their children, they have a base of continuing the Hasidim beliefs and principles through the community that is closed off to the non-Hasidim community. So I think it works. I'm pretty sure it works. I've seen it work, and I just want to mention. We were talking about the Komsomol and bringing that back. Just as an example, Comrade just had a kid. That kid's going to become a red diaper baby. We have a bunch of other comrades in the party who have children. We should absolutely set something like that up as soon as we can. And I've brought this up many times, actually, that this is something that we should be working on. But since there are cadre that have children, young children who could easily be integrated into something like the Komsomol, I really think that that's something that we should be talking about more seriously. Thank you, comrade. You drew parallels with the Jewish community in New York, and I was wondering if we, as communists, aim to emulate that in any fashion. Isn't there a danger of us becoming too insular and not being able to reach out? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That was the reason why they changed policy, because they claimed that what you just said, it's exactly the reason that we were insular. My opinion to that is, during the popular front period, we had our own culture, but we still met people at our factories. We met other workers, black workers, Italian workers, not just Jewish workers. And we met people, you can have the same interaction in other organizations, but we had our own culture, but we then went into other areas on a superficial level. So. We then lost all that after 1950 when we gave that up. Because once we gave up the camps, the International Workers' Order, IWO, had a camp for all Italian communists went to the summer camp. All Jewish communists went to a Jewish camp. So therefore, we had the culture of the food, the culture of the language, of the history of our countries, but from a communist perspective. So... You're right. There is that danger. Thank you for pointing that out, comrade. Some of the comrades were asking, how do we implement this subculture of communists? And the answer is party build, party build, party build. We need right. to educate our cadre. We need to create mass organization inside of our party. We need to actually be organized to the level where we are creating these institutions ourselves. And we need to be making a party that is principled and safe for our cadre so that we're not losing people and that people are involved. And that's how we get back to that. Thank you, Carmen. We still have a young pioneer 90 miles off the coast of Florida in Cuba. They used to young pioneers. Mm -hmm. And Alien Gonzalez was a young pioneer. That's he was true. kidnapped from Cuba and brought to the United States. Ilian Gonzalez was the name, a big, big name a couple of years ago. He Thank was you a so young much. pioneer. The information about how Roosevelt took communists into his cabinet because he idled the economic success of the Soviet Union, and considering the fact that this didn't happen with the Bernie movement shows why it failed. 
I think even distribution of party work was a good point. Evening the responsibility, that's something that'll convince conservatives because they're all about responsibility. I like the tip about revealing your politics little by little to avoid shocking people. That's a new strategy that I'm going to implement. I'm so confused about what a red diaper baby is. Two people meet each other. They connect and they have a child, either through birth or through adopting. And they raise the child as a communist. That's called a red diaper baby. I want to thank everybody. I hope somebody learned something tonight. Okay, comrades. We'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thank you for watching this full-length class from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. For more information, or if you're interested in attending classes, visit our website, check out our YouTube channel, or email info at psmls.org.